Good evening, listener. This is Felipe Ojeda from the Ghost of 94 YouTube channel. And you're listening to a Halloween special episode of Preston's Poetry Podcast. <laughs> today's episode, I want to talk about a poet who I've mentioned but haven't actually gotten around to talking about yet. He's best known for short stories. The creator of the mystery genre and American literature's drunk uncle, Edgar Allan Poe. He's the master of the uncanny valley, a term used by mystery and horror writers, meaning situations that are not normal, where the normal workings of the world and society don't quite fit. Today's poem is a famous one. Written in 1845, it's a narrative poem with what we might call complex meter, because while it has a form and consistent rhyme scheme, the number of stresses per line is not consistent. It's a haunting story that I think many people misread. It's The Raven. Now, it's the longest poem I've talked about so far, so I'd like to jump right in. Have a listen but you might want to keep the lights on. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered, weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. To some visitor, I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. Only this, and nothing more. Uh, Distinctly, I remember, it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow. Vainly I had sought to borrow from my books surcease of sorrow. Sorrow, For the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore, nameless here forevermore. And the silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before, so that now, to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating to some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door. This it is, and nothing more. Presently, my soul grew stronger. Hesitating then no longer, Sir, said I, or madam, truly your forgiveness I implore. But the fact is, I was napping, and so gently you came 
rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door. Darkness there, and nothing more. Deep into that darkness peering, long I stood there, wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the stillness gave no token, and the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore? This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, Lenore. Nearly this, and nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning, soon again I heard a tapping, somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely that is something at my window lattice. Let me see then what thereat is, and this mystery explore. Let my heart be still a moment, and this mystery explore. Tis the wind, and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter, when, with many a flirt and flutter, in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance made he, not a minute stopped or stayed he, but, with mien of lord or lady, perched above my chamber door. Perched upon a bust of palace just above my chamber door, perched and sat and nothing more. Then, this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling, by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore, Though thy crest be shorn and shaven, thou, I said, art sure no craven, ghastly grim and ancient raven, wandering from the nightly shore. Tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's plutonian shore. Quoth the raven, Nevermore. Much I marveled this ungainly fowl to hear discourse so plainly, though its answer little meaning, little relevancy bore. For we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door, bird or beast upon the sculptured bust above his chamber door with such name as nevermore. But the raven, sitting lonely on the placid bust, spoke only that one word, as if his soul in that one word he did outpour. Nothing farther than he uttered, not a feather than he fluttered, till I scarcely more than muttered, Other friends have flown before. On the morrow he will leave me, as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, Nevermore. Startled at the stillness broken by reply, so aptly spoken. Doubtless, said I, what it utters is its only stock and store, caught from some unhappy master whom unmerciful disaster followed fast and followed faster till his songs one burden bore, till the dirges of his hope that melancholy burden bore of never, never more. But the raven still beguiling my sad fancy into smiling, Straight I wheeled a cushioned seat in front of bird and bust and door. Then, upon the velvet sinking, 
I betook myself to linking fancy unto fancy, thinking what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore meant in croaking nevermore. This I sat engaged in guessing, but no syllable expressing to the fowl, whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core. This and more I sat divining, with my head at ease reclining on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er, but whose velvet violet lining with the lamplight gloating o'er she shall press nevermore. Then, methought, the air grew denser, perfumed from an unseen censer swung by seraphim whose footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor. Wretch, I cried, thy God hath lent thee. By these angels he hath sent thee respite. Respite and nepenthe from thy memories of Lenore. Quaff, oh, quaff this kind nepenthe. And forget this lost Lenore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil. Prophet still, if bird or devil. Whether tempter sent, or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore. Desolate yet all undaunted on this desert land enchanted. On this home by horror haunted. Tell me truly, I implore, is there, is there balm in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still of bird or devil, by that God we both adore. Tell this soul with sorrow laden if, within the distant Aden, it shall clasp a sainted maiden whom the angels name Lenore. Clasp a rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Be that word our sign of parting, bird or fiend, I shrieked, upstarting. Get thee back into the tempest and the ninth Plutonian shore. Leave no black plume as a token of that lie thy soul hath spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken. Quit the bust above my door. Take thy beak from out my heart and take thy form from off my door. Quoth the raven, nevermore. And the raven, never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting on the pallid bust of palace just above my chamber door. And his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming. And the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor. In my soul, from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor, shall be lifted nevermore.
When I go to really look into a poem, I always try to look at the form first. Why? Because usually the form and the subject matter together make up a solid first clue, like an old brass key. You can usually see the author's intentions with the kinds of rhythms and rhymes that they use. In The Raven, Poe mostly writes in what we call trochaic octameter. This means eight trochies, and trochies are stressed-unstressed, like trochee and backflip, raven, haunted. Once upon a midnight dreary, trochee, 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 while I pondered weak and weary, trochee, 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 eight trochies, trochaic octameter. Then there's a short line of four, like a half line. Only this and nothing more. Trokey, 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 trokey. But curiously, not all lines are like this. Sometimes he mixes it up, like this one, according to my reading. For the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore. So while he's working with a form, Poe knows how to mix up the beats a little. And what I love about Poe's meters is that they work so naturally. He starts with a metrical system. He just picks one, like these trochaic octameters. But he then lets his ear do the guiding from there. Sometimes, when I'm teaching English lessons, I have my students read Edgar Allan Poe poems to get a feel for the rhythm of the English language. I think it's effective because it forces us into a natural way of reading. Now, The Raven is a poem about a man who is grieving the death of a woman we only know as Lenore. We presume he is alone, and he is reading to distract himself. Quote, Vainly I sought from my book surcease of sorrow, sorrow for the lost Lenore. He then hears a knock at his chamber door. A little freaked out by a knock in the middle of the night, calms himself down and dares to go to the door to greet the visitor with my favorite stanza in the whole poem. Presently my soul grew stronger, hesitating then no longer. Sir, said I, or madam, truly your forgiveness I implore. But the fact is I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door darkness there, and nothing more. He opens the door and there's nothing there. This is what writers call the uncanny valley, the word for a character or world being thrust into a situation when things are no longer working like they should. Normal is not normal anymore. People become murderers. They come back from the dead. Dogs aren't just dogs on full moons. Someone's watching you from afar. All the uncanny valley. Poe's character here is already uneasy, but it's late, so we can give him a bit of a break. Unless someone just knocks on his door at midnight. People don't do that. But who knows? Once he opens it and nobody's there, though, it's on. We're in the uncanny valley. Even more uncanny, I think, is his reaction. When he opens the door to nothing, his reaction is to whisper into the void for Lenore. That's how upset this guy is. Anyway, turning around, freaked out, there's another knock. 
he musters up the courage to check the window because he suspected it's just the wind knocking something into the window. Now, this is an important element of horror storytelling. A good horror story can't be all spooky. There must be an attempt at reason and moments of light, contrast. So next, in comes this raven. Not a ghost, just a bird. A quirky bird, too. This raven flies in like he totally owns the place. He doesn't seem deterred by a human in the room, entering, quote, with mien of lord or lady. Somewhat jokingly, the man begs for the raven's name. Then the raven famously only answers, Nevermore. As the poem plays out, the man appeals to the raven, seeing it as an omen or visitor from the underworld, even driving himself emotionally to the point where he begs the raven to tell him if he will ever get over his grief. Quote, is there, is there balm in Gilead? And he also asks if he will ever see Lenore again. Repeating, nevermore, the man attempts to cast the raven out. Leave my loneliness unbroken. Quit the bust above my door. But it ends with the raven, we guess quite some time later, still sitting there, repeating nevermore, while the man grieves the fact that he will never, ever see Lenore again. At least in American schools, this is often taught next to Poe's most famous short story, The Telltale Heart, which is about a man who, creeped out by an old man's cataract eye, decides, well, I'll just let you read it, but suffice it to say that the guy grows more unstable. A lot of people interpret this poem as just being purely creepy or as a guy going insane because of the persistence of a strange bird. I think this mostly comes from its pairing with The Telltale Heart, while the raven does end with this repetition of still is sitting, still is sitting, which sounds like he's just being totally harassed into insanity by this raven, I think we should read this in context of another poem by Poe called Lenore. Lenore begins, Ah, broken is the golden bowl, the spirit flown forever. Let the bell toll. A saintly soul floats on the Stygian river. All of those are references to Lenore's death. There are even similar lines between the raven and Lenore. In Lenore, the Stygian is the same thing as when he says the night's Plutonian shore in the raven. Pluto is the Roman version of Hades, the god of the underworld and of the dead. The river Styx is part of this world, and thus the Stygian river. This poem, besides its enjoyable creepiness, is horrifying, I think, not because there's a weird bird that won't go away. It's the idea that someone could possibly never get over their grief and become totally obsessed with it. The raven is perched above a statue of Athena, called Pallas, the goddess of wisdom. The raven is not the harbinger of death here, but the voice of reason. Furthermore, the similarities to Lenore should cause us to see it more of a death-grieving poem, so at least I think we should read it that way. I haven't even managed to talk about all the internal and end rhymes here, but there's a lot going on in The Raven. Probably the most impressive fact is that each stanza, and there are 18 of them, has four lines that rhyme with every four lines from every other stanza. It's consistent throughout the entire poem. Door, 
before, nevermore, and so on. Beyond this form, though, what makes Edgar Allan Poe a clearly American poet is that his psychological gothic horror marks a turn away from the social themes of British poetry at the time to the individual. It might be considered pulp fiction or popular verse as his work was published in commercial magazines and papers. But what a cool poet, a guy that doesn't swoon over water lilies and swans, but instead takes us into the maddening depths of superstitions, haunted houses, and the uncanny valley. The Raven is maybe the most famous example of what we call a narrative poem, meaning it tells a story. It is also pretty strict on form, with the trochaic octameter and rhymes. And I think this is the brilliance of Poe. He manages to create these nice rhythms, even interrupted at times, including end rhyme that lasts the entire poem, door, before, nevermore, and rhymes within the lines, plus enjambment and all the other cool tricks we've already talked about. Yet, he's able to do so without losing the story. There's a clear balance here between poetry and prose, sound and story, and that is the hardest part about writing narrative poems. Narrative poems can sometimes these days be looked a bit down upon because it's difficult to write a very good one. You're likely to end up writing more poetic-sounding prose than narrative poetry. But, hey, I say poetic prose is also good. So if you want to try it, I recommend just jumping right into the deep end. Open wide the door. Write a short story about someone in a creepy situation. Thrust them into the uncanny valley. Then, see if you can make some rhythmic fun out of it and let your ear guide you. After all, there's no harassing raven from beyond the realm perched above your door to tell you that you can't. Hey y'all, Preston here. Thanks for tuning in again. My favorite line of today's poem is that I scarce was sure I heard you. Tell me yours or ask me stuff on Preston's Poetry Podcast Instagram or Facebook page or via the website, prestonspoetrypodcast.com. We'll see y'all.